Hello and welcome to South Asia Chat, a podcast brought to you by the Institute of South Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore. I am your host Ramita Ayer. I work as a research analyst at the institute here. It is my great pleasure today to have with me Mr. Vinod Rai, distinguished visiting research fellow ISAS and former controller and auditor general of India. In this episode, he will be discussing India's politics, India's foreign policy and issues of regionalism. Welcome to South Asia Chat, Mr. Rai. Thank you, Ramita. Thank you for having me. So this year the Modi government completes 3 years of its second term and 8 years of continuous central governance. How would you assess the performance of the government over the last 8 years and what do you think were some of the hits and misses? Well, the Modi government has uh, had a very roller coaster kind of a ride and uh, <clears throat> while in the beginning uh, they did start very well on a package of reforms in all sectors of the economy things like that but of course they were very badly hit with by the covid pandemic which hit them but i would largely say that the movement has been upward though most of us in india would have loved to have the upward graph uh, gradient to be much steeper than what it has been but i it must be said to the uh, credit of the government that on the economic front they have done relatively well uh, despite the fact that about 2 years was lost during the pandemic uh, yes inflation is becoming high now but it has largely been under control now what happens largely is that when the economy is on the uptick and there is especially after we've had a, some kind of a pandemic kind of a situation there is a lot of liquidity in the market mm. and that's when inflation kicks in not necessarily a bad sign as far as the economy is concerned largely due to the fact that economic growth is being registered now the good things about the modi government has been that uh, agricultural growth has been very good uh, the again one of the hits has been that infrastructure whether it be power generation or in road construction has also done exceedingly well and people would also like to believe on the political front that the abrogation of article 370 as far as the larger part of the country is concerned they see it as a sign of the fact that there will be greater integration of the jnk area to the rest of india because that part of the article in the constitution was only for a very short time but the fact that it was allowed to stay uh people felt was unduly over a large period of time and it's now seems that issues are settling down though some of the political parties in the valley have not accepted the abrogation but larger parts of the valley uh, of jammu and the valley seem to have settled down and they are doing well about it now uh there have been some other issues regarding agricultural laws or farm laws there have been issues around labor one miss as i would call it is the fact that the government was on the path of reforms for farm laws the laws that were introduced were decidedly good in the long term development for farmers but unfortunately it was not perceived to have been as good as uh, it was meant to be and to the extent that probably the government 
tried to sell the reform package without adequate discussion about it, adequate discussion either in parliament or with the states and politically too. That's where it ran into some kind of headwinds and that has not been good for the farmers or the country. On the other hand, we've had a set of reforms which are labor reforms. Now, labor reforms, the good thing about labor reforms is that about 16 to 19 states have already accepted those reforms. And this was a bottom-up kind of a development where the states started the reform because it was acceptable to the state and the setup in the state, and it caught on among other states. The reform have been implemented, but these have been implemented by virtue of executive orders, not changes in statute. So it is being hoped that over a period of time, when the government is in a position to explain the benefits of these reforms better, when the government is in a position to discuss these over long periods of time in the parliament itself, so that parliamentarians can assess uh, how good these have been, uh, probably uh, these can come kick back into the system. And we are hopeful that the reform agenda will be driven going forward. So on the whole, uh, it has been a good performance, not the way most of the Indians would have liked to be it, but then you have to factor in two years lost due to the pandemic. Uh, but in, in the pandemic also, of course, in the beginning, uh, there were some difficulties. Uh, in dealing with it because of the harsh lockdown. But I must say that they have now been able to put their act together. So you mentioned about India losing out over the last two years because of the pandemic. So we've seen that it has been a significant political factor since 2020. And the government has, uh, in fact, received quite a bit of criticism for its handling of, co of the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you give us a sense of what has happened over the past year and how the government is placed today with respect to the pandemic and vaccination? See, it's uh, largely believed that when the pandemic hit the country in 2020, early parts of 2020, two things happened. Uh, the government did not believe that it was going to be, the scourge was going to be so severe. Uh, number two, because they did not believe that it was going to be so severe and it would hit such a large number of people, they were not so well prepared for it. If you will recall, why I'm saying they not so well prepared for it is because if you will recall, very early in the day, within six months of the pandemic hitting the country, Government of India already declared that the worst is behind us, and they had started exporting vaccines to friendly countries. Now, that was an indication of the fact that government had not been able to um, probably un uh, uh, understand how severe they, it was going to be. So it was a wrong reading of the situation. As a consequence of that, the government ordered about a nine-week lockdown, which is very harsh. It hit poor people very badly. Uh, it created hardship in terms of livelihood. It created hardship in, in terms of health issues. The health infrastructure was not well prepared for it all. Now, uh, so early 2020 till about September, October 2020, it was a very difficult struggle and the government was all over the place trying to prepare the state government as well as the central government. It was only in the beginning of 2021 that the 
central government and the states seemed to have overcome the struggle and became uh, with grips to the uh, 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 got grip on the entire problem. And um, whether it was oxygen, whether it was uh, hospital beds, things started improving and by that time government was in control of uh, issues that is where the biggest criticism against the government came about in the fact that government had not been able to um, take control of the situation which caused a lot of hardship but uh, when the government put its act together and that was in uh, middle of 2021 i think after that it has been an upward uh, situation vaccination drive has been remarkably good considering the fact that about 150 crore people uh, have already been vaccinated as of now and the number of people which are being vaccinated even uh, in the age group of about uh, 15 to 18 uh, is is very encouraging so vaccination has been ramped up and it appears that the third wave, which is largely the Omicron wave, the government is fairly well prepared because there has been no lockdown on, on one hand. Uh, so, and on the other, which means no loss of livelihoods. On the other side, as far as life and health issues are concerned, uh, the, doc, the, the hospital position and do doctors on call position seems to be very good. And uh, to that extent, uh, the harshness or of the problem has been taken care of uh, so i think with adequate precautions the public has uh, also become cautious about it uh, things seem to be on the upward and with the kind of cooperation that the public is providing to the government i should say think that the worst is behind the government and now henceforth it will be easier to manage this kind of a pandemic uh, thank you so much for giving us an insight into what has happened over the last eight years. But now I'd like to bring us to today and this year. Uh, so it's an important year for India. Over the next few months, uh, state assembly elections are scheduled to be held across five states, Uttar Pradesh, Goa, Punjab, Manipur and Uttarakhand. Uh, what are some of the significant political trends that you observe and how do you think these results will affect centre-state's uh, relationship, but also what impact do you think that these elections will have on the general elections that are scheduled to be held in 2024? Well, yes, we are definitely in for very interesting times. This is the time when the vibrant democracy that India is, where the voter becomes, para, you know, important, his importance becomes so very paramount. And the, that's the time when the voter actually begins to flex what I would call his muscles and all the parties start booing him. See, one of the most important states in the country, or if not important in the sense of other issues, definitely in terms of the populace, population, U, uh, UP is going to polls. UP is very important uh, for the fact that there are 403 legislative assembly seats. In uh, 2017, the BJP government had romped home with about 312 uh, seats that they had won. They obviously want to uh, repeat their performance. They started with uh, the kind of infrastructure projects that they have launched and completed. It must be said to the, benef uh, to the credit of the government in UP that they have uh, done a lot of road projects. Uh, but they soon realized that infrastructure was not enough for them. So 
polarization around religion has started and whether it is the Varanasi or it's Ayodhya, uh, this is being projected in a large number of ways. Now, BJP of course is putting it act together, but I think the party which has really put its act together and is pushing hard is the Samajwadi party under the leadership of Akhilesh Yadav who was one time chief minister. Uh, this party is attempting to polarize around two things. It's strong point was always the MY as it was called, which means the Muslims and the and the Yadavs. But now they are trying to uh, get some lower class people or uh, lower caste people also um, in their uh, hegemony under the control so that they will be able to um, get a larger number of seats from that faction. They had 47 seats in 2017 and it is expected that they will shore up their uh, numbers fairly substantially and this is the party which is really giving the BJP a fight. Then there is also the uh, <coughs> Bharati, uh, uh, the Bahujan Samaj party under Mayavati which seems to be losing ground and though it had 19 MLAs in the last assembly, um, it does not seem to be making a very determined effort in the elections for next month. Uh, the Congress is uh, in a large number of ways losing ground, though of course uh, they have launched a manifesto which they call a pink manifesto because they seem to be uh, appealing to the ladies segment of it. So uh, UP is going to be very important. It is having a seven phase election and uh, let us see how much the BJP is able to. It's largely believed that BJP will come to power but uh, with a substantially declined share of votes and seats. Punjab is another state which is going to uh, elections. Punjab was very much in the news recently because the former chief minister who is from the Congress party was asked to step down. And a Dalit, as we call them in India, from the lower caste has been made the chief minister. Uh, usually, a Jat Sikh, as they are called, you used to be in power all the time in Punjab. So for the first time, the Dalit has come. But Dalits do control about 32%. Uh, I mean, Dalit, the population share is about 32%. So it's going to be uh, a vote which will try to see whether um, the Congress, with the combination of Jat Sikh, because it's party president, Navjot Singh Sidhu is a Jat Sikh, and the chief minister is a Dalit, so whether that combination is going to work for them. Congress uh, has got fractured because of this. The party which is making inroads now is the Ahmadmi Party, which had some kind of a presence there. They have announced a new chief ministerial face who seems to be popular, and they are uh, making inroads, of course, but the USP of the Ahmadmi Party has always been distribution of what I would call freebies. So they are in that game in a large number of ways. BJP is making inroads, but it has never had that kind of a strength in Punjab, largely because, also because it uh, broke away from the Shiromani Akali Dal. Uh, the third state which is going to polls is Uttarakhand. Uttarakhand is going to be seeing a fight, direct fight between the Congress and the BJP. The BJP, Uttarakhand has about uh, about um, 70 seats, if I remember correctly, out of which about 56 seats are already with the BJP. Congress has 11. Uh, so 
the BJP chief changes chief minister about a year back. The young chief minister is very active and it seems to be doing well. Aam Aadmi Party is trying to make some forays into Uttarakhand, but largely in the urban areas only. So they have not been able to make any uh, progress on that. Manipur with 60, 60 seats is also going to elections. Manipur is one of the border states and to that extent is important. BJP had been able to cobble together a coalition of 29 of its own seats and about 35 total. Um, this is largely in the plains area, which is called the Metis of, uh, of Manipur, where the BJP has a fairly strong, strong uh, stranglehold. And it seems that they should be able to romp home. Goa is the fifth state which is going to an election. Goa has only 40 member assembly. And, but we are going to have very interesting uh, elections in Goa because it is going to be four-cornered. It's a BJP government as of today with 25 members in it. Aam Aadmi Party has come up in a big way. The TMC, Trinmool Congress from, of, led by Mamta Banerjee, has made very strong forays into Goa. The Congress is already there but is debilitated in strength and is losing some important members of its party. So it's going to be a four-cornered con contest, but it will be an interesting con contest. Now, you asked me what uh, effect it will have in the elections of 2024. The first thing about the significance of these elections is its impact will be on the presidential election, which is due for July 2022, which means the president of India. is And the electoral college comprises members of the legislative assembly of different states. So it is the attempt of all the parties to muster as many MLAs as they can. So that will be the first impact. Number two, the impact in 2024 will be very significant because UP is a popular state. Uh, it controls the largest number of members of parliament, which is 80. So. Uh, indication that the BJP or any other party has a fairly good stranglehold in the assembly would be a pointer to what the elect, uh, what would be the significance of these seats in 2024. So we are going to have very interesting times, whether it's in UP or in Punjab. And this will in some ways be an indicator of how strong the BJP is going to emerge in the next election, or is it losing ground? Shifting our focus now to India's international relations. So we've seen over the past few years, there has been an intensification of India-China rivalry. There have been tensions at the borders. Uh, the Indian government has banned several Chinese apps, including TikTok. And what we've seen is just a general growth of China's footprint in the subcontinent. At the same time, we've also seen that India has actively participated in multilateral groupings like the Quad, which has Australia, Japan, the United States, and India. So what is your take on the future of Indochina relations, and do you see the Quad as an effective grouping to keep a check on China's rise? See, uh, China and India in the Asian region have always been kind of competing for dominance in some ways. And whenever either of the countries grows economically, they want to become more dominant. China certainly is economically more predominant today in Asia. To that extent, it is trying to assert its supremacy in a large number of ways. India and China 
share a fairly long border it's a large number of ways it's not a very well defined border hilly terrains difficult to monitor on on both the sides but each country believes uh, that it must gain more in terms of uh, 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 space in that region so going forward these two countries will continue to jostle for supremacy in, in ways which will be economic ways which will be military uh, as happens in uh, foreign relations every country tries to shore up its strength by fostering alliances or joining alliances now quad is one such alliance where some countries in the indo-pacific region are feeling threatened because of the uh, uh, muscle that china at times flexes and that is why uh, australia japan india with of course the usa join, uh, joining in it have formed the quad and they feel that their presence in the indo-pacific region in a large number of ways will without their saying so in as many words be some kind of deterrent to the growing strength of china in in there but the better effect of uh, uh, on the economic side of quad has been that these countries members of the quad have been uh, sharing critical technologies they have been sharing cyber cyber security issues they have been uh, sharing climate control issues and also have rendered military cooperation to each other to that extent i um, it sincerely believe that with this collaboration on different fronts it's not merely a military kind of an alliance that has been formed because they are pooling resources even for infrastructure development so to that extent it seems to be uh, a happy development for all the four countries though it is largely being play, uh, played out as jostling for regional security so i think um, all the countries india or china want to play a larger role in the world security uh, scenario and this must be one of those wherein they are trying to push their own interests in the uh, global affairs uh finally moving to our immediate neighborhood we've not only seen china's rising influence but also smaller countries playing a more active role on a regional level for instance bhutan entered into a bilateral agreement with bangladesh while bangladesh has extended loans to sri lanka and the maldives what are your thoughts on these changing dynamics and how has india handled it so far uh do you think that india is going to continue being a dominant presence in the region or is the new activity by these smaller countries going to alter that the historical presence of india see i i would be very upbeat about this kind of a development um china and india or india being a larger country economically larger militarily stronger will continue to play a fairly uh, dominant role but it why i said i'm upbeat about it is because it shows that any country which becomes economically strong does tend to you know uh, spread its goodwill or its own development with other countries to that extent the fact that uh, bangladesh has given a large loan to sri lanka which is more a currency swap arrangement uh, is a very happy development it shows that bangladesh today has been able to shore up its forex revenues their exports are doing very well economically they are far 
better off than what they were even a decade back and to that extent they are willing to help a neighbor in the south asia region on the other hand there are a large number of bangladeshi maybe about 70000 of them who are migrant workers in the maldives area and bangladesh is, has uh, agreed to provide a loan of roughly about 150 million again a currency swap arrangement to maldives so these are very happy developments and it also goes to show that uh, economic development of bangladesh uh, has been so good and that the and that they are willing to share the benefits of it with with other countries now india had also advanced a loan to sri lanka the fallout of all this is that sri lanka had a huge debt towards china and the fact as was seen that uh, because they were not in a position to repay uh, the debt completely they had to have sign off some arrangements on the port uh, of um, sri lanka also so the attempt for these countries is to take loans from friendlier neighboring countries and to that extent i think uh, bangladesh advancing to sri lanka and maldives is a very happy development on the other hand uh, bangladesh and bhutan are regional neighbors in south asia they share a common border and they have been members of sarc as well as bimstec so they have signed a pact very recently to help each other in a large number of ways largely economic to the extent that uh, mutual respect for each other they will uh, bring about infrastructure development they will share the benefits of uh, whatever economic um, advancement each of the countries does and to that extent i think whether it is encompassing hydro power or it is uh, free trade and transport i think these are uh, in some ways on the front burner and this is where they will try to uh, help each other so on the whole these are a good developments because it shows that these smaller countries who have now begun to economically develop fast are not at the mercy of the larger powers in that region so to that extent i think it's a very good thing it will be good for the uh, uh, pride of the country pride of its citizens and economically i think the terms between these neighboring countries will improve substantially thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your thoughts providing a road map on different aspects of india's domestic and foreign politics thank you mr ray thank you very much you were listening to south asia chat as always tune in every week to gain insights into the latest developments across the subcontinent to learn more about our work including our publications book reviews and events you can visit us at isas.nus.edu.sg you can also follow us on our social media pages on facebook twitter linkedin and instagram Thank you.